Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 573. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. Well, if you've been following along for a while, you have noticed that 2022 is the 10-year celebration of the publication of The 50-Mile Bouquet, a book that, to be honest, started me along the journey, the journey that became the Slow Flowers Movement. In a tribute to this small but mighty book, I'm spending parts of this year circling back to interview as many people featured in its pages as possible. The 50-Mile Bouquet was photographed by David Perry, designed by James Forkner, and brought to market by St. Lynn's Press publisher Paul Kelly. The opening chapter of the 50 Mile Bouquet includes profiles of several of the flower farmers who shaped the story and influenced my understanding of domestic floral agriculture. These are the people who grew specialty cut flowers long before the term slow flowers was coined. They are the OGs, the originals, people who have quietly practiced their craft as artisan growers, supplying their customers, both flower lovers and florists, with superior quality heirloom blooms for decades. So today, you will meet Charles and Bethany Little of Eugene, Oregon-based Charles Little & Company. Their story appears in a section called Grower's Wisdom in the 50 Mob OK, and that's where we introduce them along with other inspiring growers. Charles Little has tended to ornamental crops in the verdant Willamette Valley since 1986, and I value his perspective and insights about how flower farmers have navigated the past decades and more. You met Bethany Little earlier this year when I featured her as a guest during her appearance at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival. And so this is a, another bonus interview for you to hear from Bethany. I've hosted them both on prior episodes of the Slow Flowers podcast, and you can find links to those past appearances in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 573. Let's jump right in and meet Charles and Bethany. Well, I'm here today with Charles Little and Bethany Little of Charles Little and Company in Eugene, Oregon. And it's so fun to sit down with you. Thanks so much for welcoming me into your beautiful farmhouse. So I'm trying to do some flashbacks and talk to people who 
um, were so generous to share their stories in the 50 Mile Bouquet. And um, it all kind of started here, actually, because I met the two of you in 2010 at the ASCFG regional meeting that was held here. And um, boy, what a lot has happened. That was 12 years ago, but that kind of led to um, having a feature about your business in a section called Grower's Wisdom in the 50 Mile Bouquet. Um, doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but we've been moving along here in the flower world. Um, maybe I can ask Charles to um, give us a snapshot of the company because you are the OG, you're the guy who started flower farming before there was a, a, it was a hot trend. You were, you were kind of an early adopter in your, in your business model, right? So do you want me to describe it today? Yeah, give us a snapshot. 2022? Today. Yeah. Um, well, we've never sold more flowers in a week or in a year uh, ever before. So it's kind of uh, exhausting. Uh, we've never had so many people on the payroll. And, um, and the business has never done so well. Wow. And it's because of COVID. Really? Still? Uh, not still, still but maybe not still, but just from the moment we were panicking in March, April, May of 2020 to, uh, well, you know, to, to now. Um, but I think as a result of that, when, when uh, flowers from other countries like Holland and Germany and Australia, New Zealand and South America, Central America could no longer send flowers here, uh, they, uh, flower buyers who, who had still a need for flowers were forced to come to the, the American grower. Mm -hmm. And so they benefited, uh, grocery stores benefited by American flower growers and American flower growers benefit. And um, so that, that was pretty remarkable. Uh, the other thing that has occurred over the last six or eight years is Mayash has made a distribution hub at the Portland flower market. And how long has that been, hon? I think that's been five years. At least. Five, maybe six years. And so right now, yeah, Mayesh by far is our biggest customer. Wow. And so that concerns me. Um, but at the same time, we have two or three other really big customers. And then we have a couple of handfuls of uh, people that get two or 300 bunches a week. Wow. But, you know, Mayesh might get 2,000, 3,000 bunches a week. And um, so we work really hard to satisfy that, that company. Well, you've always been relationship-based and just describing the fact that you knew these gals, Heather and Amy, from past wholesalers. Like, I'm guessing when you said that people started contacting you during COVID, some of them were probably old customers who had bought from you 20 years ago. And you like, know, not really, out. no, because no. wholesalers were shut down too. Uh, you know, like Mayesh had to close. Right. So all the wholesalers nationwide were closed. All so, of our buyers, like our bread and butter buyers were closed. So no, it was, it was New Seasons mm -hmm. that- Who was uh, still purchasing yeah, through New Seasons. Yeah, we went, sales. I mean, our, our sales in, with them increased, I think, 700%. Wow, wow. That, that year. So you, that boost you're talking about kind of was radically, like the thrust came from COVID 
And now some of that has, uh, in a positive way, continued on for, for your channels. Um, because right. Because the are back online. And, 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 all, and all the things that have happened to our country and the world over the last four or five years, uh, and we add this, uh, this COVID thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it definitely triggered, uh, you know, it, it, you know it, we, we, we were able to make ends meet really satisfactorily in 2020 when we really didn't think we would, you know. And, but the impact of it globally, you know, um, and the supply chain and all those things that we're still dealing with uh, continue to, I think, improve the sales of the American flower grower. Yeah. Um, so while we were a little bit kind of trying to get over the pandemic, uh, you still, you, you, you know, you, you probably still have to get a negative COVID test to return to the U S if you go to Mexico or Argentina or France or something, I'm not sure. I did in May coming in from Canada. Right. So it might've changed since then, but not that long ago. Right. Yeah. I was in Mexico in, in February and I, I thought about it 10 times a day. I hope I test negative because I didn't want to stay in Cancun. Um, so, you know, that's still yeah. going on. Yeah. The supply chain's still, you know, rough. Uh, airlines are still irregular, you know, and that might go on for a long time. So um, for what you're shipping, you're reliant on airlines. Is that what you're saying? Because you're shipping overnight. Uh, I guess I'm sort of saying that, but I'm, say- I'm, I'm mostly saying that because of the pandemic, uh, growers in, you know, in Central and South America couldn't ship their flowers to the right. United States. Right. <clears throat> and then they got sick, and then there were supply chain problems. So it, it's still not, the it, flow is not, has not returned. That's a good point. So Beth, that's kind of what I meant. Yeah, and Bethany, I cut you off. You oh, it's okay. No, I, I think that... The flow, yeah, the flow has not quite returned, but, but it has started again. Um, but one of the things I was going to say is I, th- I found the shift about more like five years ago because we started selling more, because Mayash moved to Oregon. They bought Billingsley Wholesale, which was like the wholesale house that we sold to kind of in Portland. And that was, uh, and then... When they were going to close, I was like, we have to become members of the OFGA. Mm. And because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. So we became members and then they were purchased by Mayash. And then we have like these two happy camps up in in Portland. We sell directly to the florist who is gaga all, all over the product that no wholesaler would buy because I'm like, I like it. I'm going to show it to you directly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, give me a couple examples. Um, like Hebe. Mm-hmm. It's like the little boxwood Hebe mm-hmm. because it's so short. I mean, no one would touch it. And I'm like, yeah, but a florist will touch it because yes. they see the value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of another one right off the top oh. of my head, but it's like that kind of thing that I, as a plants person or Charles as a plants person, love it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Sort of the, the, the people who geek out about horticulture and unique plants that's you're serving that person too right and those are you know the florist in portland is a spoiled florist because they get they see all of these beautiful wonderful plants because we live in wonderland you know for for growing and so they were super excited when we first started 
participating in that market because they got to see all these new things. And um, when Heather showed up to purchase for MASH nationwide, she was super excited because she's, you know, a plant geek and um, could get that into the MASH stream. Right, and sell these unique Pacific Northwest-grown varieties down into L.A. or into... Right, so um, they have, what, like four or five hubs down in California that I think eat most of our flowers um, and then some of it goes to their other hubs but um, I think that that is something that also that people were becoming a little bit more fluent and so it's not just staple flowers mm-hmm. going into arrangements anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we, we've been through these trends where it's just like, oh, just rip out the armaria. No one's going to buy that because one, you know, like I have to put 30 stems in a bunch and it's the bunch is still this big, you know, yeah. and it's, yeah. they, they, when they put a stem in, it has to count. So they're going to buy sunflowers, you know, like, Got it. Got it. Yeah. so they're not going to buy these, weird interesting things but now they are because and and also i think drives are coming back and it's been a slow climb um but i think that our you know our the fact that we have almost sold out of all of our dried flowers and i didn't throw them on the dump you know i didn't compost a whole bunch of them that's amazing uh is tells you something yeah well, I was going to ask Charles to describe what what has changed in the last decade that you're growing. Like, what is your mix and how has that changed? And maybe that will reflect what you're talking about with the drive. Um, have you, what have you added? What have you phased out? Of, and is it because of you're creating the demand by growing cool things or you're seeing an opportunity and just, you know, showing it to the marketplace? That's sort of hard to answer accurately because we grow so many different things here um, that I suppose there's things that we decide that no one's buying or they're hard to take care of or they or they get disease. Um, yeah, tough love. You just make these, you, you're like, okay, you're out, that sort yeah. of thing. But uh, maybe, maybe something will come to your mind. Well, um, like one thing that we kind of regret now, but people were not buying Vitex to save the darn plants lives and we had like three rows of them so we took one row out and then do we have still have two rows or just one row now oh, we've been taking out cornice we yeah. planted a lot of red and yellow twig dogwood uh years 20 years ago mm-hmm. and um and it was really hard to sell and if we sold it all it was because we sold it really cheaply really cheap and we talked somebody into buying it and uh, so you're like wait a minute why am i doing this right yeah. and, and while it, it it takes up a lot of space uh, but it's it's really uh, low maintenance. Uh, once it gets established, it it there's pretty much or there's weeds, but they're not they're not com- they're not competing with the cornice. Yes, right. Uh, and we we have irrigate, so we've got water. It needs fertilizer. We fertilize <clears> it. <throat> but we've taken out probably fifty percent of our cornice. And talk and we about did it taking in, more out. And we did time. it in a two two different times. And, um, That's interesting because when I met you, Charles, when I first came here, you gave a tour to the ASCFG and I was just like soaking it all in. And that's when I first learned this philosophy of permaculture the way you, I think you defined it, which was, you know, growing these woody crops that would 
eventually become less labor intensive and could just keep producing for you year after year. And I would, wouldn't Cornus have been in that category? Oh yeah, I mean it's one. It's a great example. You know, it makes uh, it, it makes long, beautiful stems. Um, you know, f- three, four, five feet long in a growing season. It's it's a it's kind of a fall crop because you want the leaves to fall off naturally. The cold temperatures bring the color up on the stem, and uh, when you harvest it, you're kind of doing the pruning. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, it it is it, it's a great crop, but we just couldn't sell it all, and it's in a it's in in the south field, which has a a deer fence around it, and so it's taking up some pretty valuable. Uh, square footage of protected from deer. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, so it, taking it out was very expensive. You, oh. you know, it required like a stump grinder. Right. A guy with a stump grinder. These it was like $1,000, $2,000 to take out a quarter acre, you know. And, but then we got the ground for yeah. something else. So what's growing there now? Oh boy! Um, we put in this beautiful hypericum. Let's start just oh, from that road. So, yeah, which is a valuable. We put product. in some. It's not, it's not, what is that called? Um, Father. Father Gilla. For Thurgola. For Thurgola. <laughs> um, which I wish would get it together. I never pronounced it correctly. <laughs> Are you joking? Uh, oh. That's how I want to pronounce it. So Thurgola. that's for, for Thurgola. Yeah. Right, but it pro- it's probably pronounced Father Gilla. So we have this one called Mount Airy. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, I'm growing it not, not so much for the flower, the spring flower, but for the, the beautiful fall foliage. Because mm-hmm. the leaves um, on it stay on the they stick. They're kind of like a, a, a mahogany burgundy color, right? Yeah, they're, they're real multicolor, like okay. Parosha. Uh, so that's in there now. Oh, we got, we, pl- we got some black cat salix. Mm-hmm. Uh, in there now. And we did plant other shrubs in other parts of the field um, at that time, too, that are new, like um, the mock orange. Not, not I know, area. not in that area, but that we did the yeah, same that, thing, where that, that kind of like we ripped out shrubs that we had for a very long time. Two of the time. big rows that got initially ripped out or in some ground, we, we planted dahlias in. So it's kind of like tall cornice, Couple rows of dahlia, <laughs> and then more, more tall, tall cornice. It's so a little it's, motley. Well, no, it looks kind of neat. You come around the corner, and there's this dahlia. And the dahlias in are a little bit protected between the rows of cornice. Um, so they'd be protected from the wind, mm-hmm. uh, and they'd be protected. They might get a little shade at some points in the morning and evening. You know. So when, um, when in the last ten years, you've also expanded your acreage, right? Of what you're. Or, no, I okay. haven't. Okay. Uh, you went from leasing to owning, I guess that was. The yes, we. I started here in '86, renting the farmland, and the properties uh, were owned by the Saunders family. And I started on the Southfield, which is a 15-acre tax lot that's owned exclusive farm use only, so it's protected under the Oregon zoning laws uh, from being developed, and. Um, it's relatively undeveloped even now. Uh, it, it has a little, we have our farm stand on it. But I started farming that one acre, then three, and then I filled it up. And then the north side, which I call the <coughs> north field, is another, it's a 21 acre tax lot. And it's got lots of improvements like two homes and outbuildings and a big machine shed and, and beautiful soil. 
uh, and frontage. We have about a half a mile of river frontage yes. on all the tax lots combined. So, that's on the so other it starts side. right here, okay. right behind you, and it reaches all the way down to there. Wow. So, wow. so over those years, I, you know, I continued to kind of uh, take care of the ground, the south field and the north field, which combined and uh, in, in sort of realistically the, the amount of acreage, it's about 25 acres. Okay. Despite the field size, there's riparian, there's gravelly areas you can't farm. But So the Saunders ground is about 25 acres. Um, our little place here is a five and a half acre little lot that's zoned rural residential. And so I was able to build well, I was able to build a barn easily because mm -hmm. it's an ag, I got an ag placement permit, but I was super, super easy to get a permit to build this house on account of it being zoned rural residential. And then we've leased another property that's we call Harold's and uh, Harold and, Mid Harold and Mildred um, were one of the early sort of farmers on CV. I think they arrived here in 1945. Um, so I got to know Harold and Mil Mil uh, Mildred. Mildred, and um, and Harold had some cows out there. He goes, I'm sick of raising these cows. You want to farm this? I said, sure. And so I've been farming Harold's ground for 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. And it's it's adjacent to the north field. So all these properties are contiguous in a way. Wow. There's, some ro there's a paved road that divides or go runs through sure. the north side and the south side. So right now, if people ask me how much ground do I farm, I sort of added up three acres here, 25, another six. What does that equal? So it's 35 to 40 acres. Right, right. That's but it hasn't changed for a long, long time. Um, this pasture had plants in it. Then I had sheep. I remember you had sheep. <laughs> and then I, we now have plants again. So this is uh, right outside our windows here is now all rows of um, shrubs that we'll be able to start harvesting off of maybe next year or most likely year after. But it's, you know, this is a, this area here is full of plants that are going to mature and yeah. be very popular. And well, well, that's just the patience game, right? Just mm -hmm. getting the woodies in the ground, waiting two to three years so you can start to writing income off of them. Right. Yeah. So between Woody, what's the percentage of Woody's versus herbaceous um, crops and or bulk crops? Oh boy. Uh, I would say Woody, Woody shrubs and trees, maybe 40% of the ground. Mm -hmm. Herbaceous perennials, 30%, and the 35 rest. and the rest annual. Okay. So That's annual nice ground plant. is like what I call open ground. You know, it's you know, celosia, zinnias, sunflowers, things like that. You know, the beloved straw. But we are running out of we are running out of ground for annuals, and um, yeah, we, we have, I, I totally ran out. I have uh, annuals suffering in cell trays. I've got a greenhouse full of celosia. I ran out of room to plant. Oh my goodness! And, um, but you have some in the ground. A lot. Oh, yeah. okay. So you're willing to kind of just call it call it good right now. It, it's yeah. It's the first time in all these years that I've I haven't been able to plant everything. Wow. So, well, and it's kind of my fault because I just when when they were pricking out the seedlings, I said just prick them all out. You know, and yeah. So, well, we did 
double sewings of some things too because it just rained. Oh, we did a backup sewing straw weeks. flowers for sure. And so we have about 30 flats of 72 cell trays and uh, straw flowers. They've been pruned, they're super root bound. But if if I plant them, it they will make. They will I probably they be will. this amazing fall I have fall to crop. do it before the end of July. Yes. Yes. Ooh, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to buy a flat and take it home with me. Oh, we'll give you some. I I always plan on starting celosia from seed, but then it never happens. And of course, I only have room for about, you know, eight feet. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll make you a little pack of celosia to to take home. In fact, they're, they're... so stressed out, they're starting to bloom a little bit, so you can see what the color is. Oh my god! And you just nip that it and plant it. So, but the only thing that's really changed, uh, and, and it and it, it's an important thing, uh, is we were able to buy the farm in yes, 2016. Okay. That's and important. I was at a stage in my life where I was just like, uh, "I'm this ground. I'm never going to get this ground," you know, and that's okay. I've got five and a half acres. Uh, we're, it's, we're, we're almost debt free. And here comes, here comes the family saying, we're going to put this property on multiple listing. And we had to scramble and figure out how to buy it. Right. And, I remember that you had very little notice, right? Very little notice. Uh, 2016 was the most stressful year in, that we've ever had. Uh, but it was, you know, the story's long and it's a great story. I won't tell it. Uh, but we got this place. You need to write that. Charles. And I turned 60 years old in 2016. That's that's pretty amazing. And so now all the land that you leased, uh, except for the Harold's, the, the cow land, is is now at a Charles Little and Company mm-hmm. property. That pretty much, that yeah. There was a two-acre tax lot that was zoned rural residential, two acres. Uh, that was part of the Saunders estate or ground or uh, part of their farm and um, some uh, a family from Springfield uh, placed an offer that was way over asking price and the family came to me and said they want to buy this two acres Charles and if you uh, just tell me you know do you need it uh, because if you do you're going to have to match their price because it, it had a residence on it they they bought that for probably two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, and I had it was it was listed at two twenty five for two acres, mm-hmm. and I was and I wanted it, but it, the uh, it wasn't the, worth it. The, it wasn't worth it, and that and the beautiful thing about it is that it took two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars off the top of the price for me. And so suddenly I'm looking at six seventy five. We were. It also made our farm bank say, like, well, now we'll want to talk to you because they did not want to touch that piece of property because it was zoned rural residential and had a double white on it. They it kind of was a negative in their mind. It, yeah, they don't want that. Wow. And we're working with a farm bank, not a bank bank. And you have to. If you're buying farmland, bonafide farmland, uh, mortgage banks don't touch that. You, you, you have to, our farm bank is called Northwest Farm Credit Service. Mm-hmm. And while there are, there are other big banks that will work with farmers to buy farmland, there's companies like Northwest Farm Credit Services that take care of you. Yeah, and you have the, you had probably done business with them before. Yeah. Yeah, we were with them for, we've been with them for 25 years or so. Yeah. 
So that that's that's the that's the blessing of the fact that we lost that property and they built a house on gorgeous sandy loam. Yeah. You know, like I look over there and I'm like, I can't look at the house. <laughs> you can grow a lot more flowers <laughs> than in that soil than just a house. But I uh, just sort of just always keep remembering that because we don't have it, we have the farm. That's so, so, Charles, I wanted to just hear from you about sort of your, if you have your crystal ball, what do you sort of, what direction do you see? You see, I feel like you've kind of course corrected a little bit with, now you're on your land. Now you have these amazing wholesale channels that you've, you know, you said maybe you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. But, I mean, the thing with mayesh is they are diversified. So you're not just selling to one branch. Right. So I feel like that's maybe a, a, you feel confident in that. I do. I have a lot of confidence in my relationship with uh, mayesh. Um, I think that's like uh, they need me as much as I need them maybe. You know? Well, and their customers are asking for locally grown, American right, grown, right. more than ever. So, and they're such like, a big company that they're probably not going to go bankrupt and disappear. You know, they're yeah. they're it's it's a it's you know. I have a lot of faith in them, but I also know that we're diversified in who we sell to. We have you know other large growers. There's Oregon Coastal Flowers who we sell a lot of product to as well, and then. We have our wholesalers nationwide that, you know, like I just sent 18 boxes to Texas to this relatively young, new wholesale house. It's been there for five years. Um, And I have a a grower or excuse me, a buyer in New York City. And he, they, you know, if they don't get two boxes, they get 10 boxes. I mean, every week. But the crystal ball, your question. Yeah. And I don't know what you mean by that. Um, if Do you it, feel like things are trending up just in terms of demand? And I, I just feel like there is a shift in the marketplace um, more than when I first met you for customers asking for domestic or local flowers. Mm-hmm. I see it. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're selling more flowers than ever uh, mm-hmm. this year. And last year we were selling more flowers than ever. So. Right. Um, and I don't, you know, know, I, I don't know what I mean by crystal ball other than just like what do you see on, on the horizon that, that is that giving you um, like the universe saying Charles you made those decisions a while ago and they were the right ones for setting the course of this business right um, you know I, yeah I don't I, I guess I hesitate to decide that we're going to do as well this year as we did last sure, year sure um, I hesitate to say that uh, our gross income and our gross profit is going to is going to increase year after year after year. Um, I worry a lot about um, you know the the problems that we're having in this country and mm-hmm. the world. You know, affecting our lives in mm-hmm. deep, deep ways. Um, so uh, I guess it's. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's sort of a, a year at a time, you know, I think that's a season fair. at a time. That's very, that's very fair. That's all you can operate on from a growing mindset anyway. It's a season at a time. Right. And, and, but at the same time, you know, I've been at this for 36 years right here on CB Loop Road and it, it, we've managed, 
Yeah. We've managed to go from one year to the next. We've managed to, to buy land and build a home. We've managed to buy the farm. And and so I'm confident that we'll manage. That's 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 fair and actually hopeful. How about right. you, Bethany? I see the trend of uh, people self-soothing with flowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had to, I mean, I think this is the first year I've actually used my square reader register properly down at the farm stand. So, but I, sometimes I'm like, that was a lot of you pick bunches. Like they can come to the farm stand and they can buy picked or a bouquet or ready-made. And, but people, there won't be an event and they'll still be like 45 you pick rings that were sold. Like, so that's like, how many people was that? You know, like, so people want to take the time to stop, slow down, relax. Like, I think that self-care is becoming bigger trend, bigger trend. Um, So, and also people are just basically worn out. And so they just are stopping and slowing down. And so they're doing things like going and picking flowers. They're, um, buying our dried flowers online because we started that shop and they're, you know, crafting. Yes. They're turning off their devices. Yeah. They're getting, they're worn out. Yeah. So I think people are finally going back to, you know, like where I kind of like came into it in the eighties where I just spent time just deep in my whatever I was crafting and touching being a maker yeah Yeah. and I think people are coming back to it yeah it's like yeah sure you know get a degree work with computers how are you going to eat what are you like at some point we live in this world (laughs) exactly I'm like I don't think it's going to be the metaverse it's really land and dirt I love that and I do think that um Charles's illusion or alluding, not illusion, alluding to the supply chain, that is, it's a global challenge that is not resolved. And it's, you know, I don't know, we can't predict whether it's going to get better or worse, but I see it in the book business where books are sitting on container ships in China and they can't get into the U.S. and people's publication dates keep getting pushed out. And, you know, it's like, well, maybe we made the right choice to print in the U.S. because, you know, maybe we paid a little bit more per book, but we have the books. And Well, you made the, the right decision for a lot of reasons. Yes, yes. But I think that the flower, the analogy in the flower industry is the same, where you're the go-to source and you're you're ready to, you don't say no when somebody calls. You, you figure out how to su- supply them, especially if they pay the price, right? You know, I actually do say no to people who call because we can't grow anymore. Yeah. We're, we're well, there. You, you might send them to the wholesaler that, that you sell to and they can buy that. that I mean, way. no, like, I don't know if anyone told you. There was a guy who called and he's like, I want, do you guys, can you expand your business? I, I, wanna, I want to sell, you know, I want to buy a lot of your dried flowers and sell them. Like, you know, like huge case like lots. A program. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot. And I'm like, we can't grow anymore. Mm-hmm. Like well, I don't have any more dirt. Mm-hmm. I don't have any more time. Mm-hmm. And that was, it's a very interesting place to be. Right. Right. That 
uh, we've hit our max. And so I'm hoping that, you know, like we just keep, keep that, but you know, like keep the arc. Yeah. And then fine tune. Mm -hmm. Like Charles was saying, phase in new plants that are maybe more profitable. Yep. That's cool. Anything else you want to uh, leave me with Charles before we wrap this up? You, you have, gotta tell me about you, this dried flower customer. <laughs> I didn't even get his name. You have this global. <laughs> you have this global view in terms of just seeing the arc of, of time and arc of history from when you started, and you were kind of a a lonely flower farmer out there in the world of people growing edible crops, and you've just been you had staying power. Yeah, I guess I was determined to make a living at this, you know, and. You did. Yeah. I think, you know, you just pull the bootstraps up and go to bend at farmer's markets and do everything you possibly can during the lean years. And, you know, so, so exciting to, to know that, you know, like I work at home on Saturdays. I don't have to do farmer's markets. That's, really, you know, like, that's a really great gauge right there. When you get to choose how you sell your flowers. And I think that's, I think it's beautiful. I think that, um, like you said in the beginning, we're a relationship-driven business. Um, we're extremely loyal and quality is really, really important to us. Mm. So, um, and consistency. So I think... I think that's what's um, p- part of what's helped this business. That's your success strategy. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I think I've spent all these years, uh, not de- almost deliberately, trying not to pay attention to my so-called competition. Mm-hmm. Um, trying not to, and it's been easy. I just don't pay attention. Yeah, you're in your lane. To you know what, what you're doing. other people are growing. Yeah. And. As a result, I pay I pay attention to uh, woody shrub and tree catalogs, seed catalogs, and and then I you know I I wander around uh, wherever I'm wandering and look at plant material. I have nursery nursery buddies that turn me on to stuff, but I I think as a result of that, you know, a, a lot a lot of the things that we've offered over the years have been. Maybe not entirely original, but <clears throat> from my point of view, I thought I, I I thought of it and I planted it. Right. You know, and right. while other people may have thought to plant that that little hebe, um, or in, in a lot of cases, it's it's like collecting seed at a botanic garden, mm-hmm. you know, in France or in in New Zealand, or or it's uh, your nurseryman friends sort of you know giving you something, you sure. know. Uh, that you've never seen before, you know. So I, I can't. I probably, I've had dozens of things that Nathan has brought over mm-hmm. here and said, "Charles, here, man, take this," you know. And it's some kind of ornamental grass, and he, he's just like. Uh, I mean, he's he's a dyed-in-the-wool horticulturist. He's a nurseryman. I mean, he is like he's Mister Plant. But he's kind of seeing that you have a different channel, and there's there's potential there for that as a cut. I think you really enjoy seeing what we do here. Yeah. I, yeah. It's definitely when, when I met him, when down at the farmer's market, actually, this mm-hmm. is a it's farmer's market. I've never bashed farmer's markets. It's, I think it, they're the most amazing 
connectors. Um, he would come to our stall and talk to me and he saw all these different plants because we didn't, we had some of the regular things, but we also had some of the other things. And so it's like, he saw you as kindred spirits. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a beautiful relationship. That's cool. It's so funny because he'll be like, Oh, what about this cenadranium? And I'm like, he's like, it has a, this kind of flower. And I'm like, I don't care about the flower. And then like, finally he gets, he understood like, Oh, this is what they're doing with it. Show me the scented geranium with great foliage and then we'll Show talk. me the one that's upright with yeah. the great foliage. <laughs> Don't show me the one that's, you know, like. <laughs> that's a great And story. so it's sort of fun. Like he kind of gets it. And so now he really starts telling us about things or will send us images. And sometimes he'll just have a lot of it. And he'll be like, you need to buy this from me. Okay, you know, the so. takeaway is make friends with your local Nursery grower, you might find some great varieties. Oh, yeah. And travel, like Charles alluded to. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been so much fun. I uh, can't believe that 10 years have passed since we featured you both in the 50 Mile Bouquet, and I've known you longer, and I, I'm a better person for it. You guys have taught me so much, and I value your friendship. That's Thanks. really wonderful to have you. much for joining me today. Visit slowflowerspodcast.com to watch the replay video of today's conversation. Look for episode 573. And there you will also be able to download a free PDF of Heart of the Country, my first interview with Charles and Bethany that appears in the pages of the 50 Mile Bouquet. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. I want to announce the winner of our special giveaway of the Flower School book by Joseph Massey, last week's podcast guest. We ask listeners to like and follow our Slow Flower Society Instagram and also to like and follow Joseph Massey on Instagram, as well as share your comment with the name or names of your favorite focal flowers. Thanks so much to all who entered our random drawing for this fantastic new book. Our winner is Whitney Muncie of Emerald Design in Evansville, Indiana. Congratulations, Whitney. We'll get that book off to you soon in the mail. Our final sponsor thank you goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor. Downloaded more than 881,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. And consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, 
and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at slowflowerspodcast.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one base at a time. I'll see you then. Thank you.